0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions, and also by Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent and user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And also, of course, by Policy Pack Software, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these fantastic sponsors to thank. And now for some news. On episode 185 of this podcast, I spent more than half the time talking about the announcement of Windows 365 and Cloud PC. Well, Windows 365 and Cloud PC actually launched this past Monday, August 2nd. It is now generally available. You may recall episode 185, or maybe you didn't listen to it. And if you didn't hear that episode, the very short of the announcement is that this is a new virtual desktop offering in Azure that is a one-to-one persistent desktop. No need for profile management. And also, if you use the Business Edition, the Business SKU, you don't require a full Active Directory domain. You can just use Azure Active Directory. Now, with the Enterprise Edition requires a full Active Directory domain that is Azure AD Hybrid Join enabled. They say that the business SKU is suitable for up to 300 users, whereas the enterprise SKU is more appropriate for 300 plus users. Now that the service has launched, the complete pricing has also been revealed. The absolute lowest spec desktop that is only really suitable for working within a browser is priced at 18 euros and 20 cents per user per month, and the highest spec comes out at 147 euros and 50 cents per month. And that low end desktop only comes with one vCPU, two gigs of RAM, and 64 gigs of storage. So again, that's a task worker who maybe only needs a browser, they don't need full office because office is gonna eat memory like crazy. They're able to do what they need just from general browsing. Whereas on the high end, they can enjoy eight vCPUs, 32 gigs of memory, and 512 gigs of storage. So a pretty beefy desktop, though as I'll explain, there's certain things I think I would still prefer to do on an actual physical endpoint rather than a beefy desktop in the cloud. As Windows 365 Cloud PC launched, techies clamored to try the desktop with Microsoft offering a two-month trial to certain Microsoft 365 subscribers. Kevin Beaumont gave the tip that you could sign up for an E5 developer trial license and then use that access to then sign up for the trial of Windows 365. Unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you see it, I'm sure Microsoft believe it's fortunate, but now Microsoft have had to cease all new trial signups as the services hit capacity and it hit capacity pretty quickly too. So I'm afraid if you want to try it out for yourself and sign up for that 60-day trial, you're going to have to wait until they open up the trial again. You're able to sign up to get notified of when you can get that trial set up. If you did listen to episode 185 and actually other previous earlier episodes of the podcast too, I've stated my belief that Azure Active Directory Join for machines is a big deal and it is a game changer, not just for Cloud PC, but also for Azure Virtual Desktop. With the business desktop, they say it is best suited for organizations with 300 or fewer users. And while that seems insignificant to many of us, like me, for example, um, working in IT, most companies who can afford a full-fledged IT team and use things like VDI tend to have thousands of users, so... An organization with 300 or less seems pretty small by comparison, but firms with fewer than 50 employees account at least for 44% of all employees and 49% of total persons employed in Ireland's private sector. They also make up over 98% of the enterprise base of the entire country. Now I'm sure it's different in other countries, but where I am at least, small companies are what keeps the economy turning. Now while I discussed a little bit the smallest spec desktop and also the largest spec desktop that's available, to me the smallest viable desktop for most employee work types costs about 30 euros a month. Also unfortunately, prerequisites include that users must have licenses for Windows, Intune, Azure AD, and Windows 365 to use their cloud PC. So overall cost of everything your users may need for a good desktop experience could vary. Frustratingly, that Windows license requirement comes into effect if your primary client device being used to consume your Cloud PC is running Windows 10 Home Edition or anything that's below Pro. So if you like to use a MacBook, for example, as your primary device, you're going to have to end up paying close to 4 euros a month extra to take care of that Windows license. I think that's a real bummer. My assumption is that that's an anti-competition thing where they have to separate out the cost of the license and charge it to customers as a separate line item because I know one of the bugaboos and the pains for vendors in the past offering VDI is that license on the endpoint versus on the virtual desktop If you're not signing up for a trial and you'd actually like to pay for a desktop, you can do that. And if you're doing so and you would like to create a VNet for a bridged connection between your desktops and your on-premises network, so while you're on that desktop, you can access resources on your home network or your corporate network, that option is available. And it is available in a lot of larger Azure regions with the list posted on Microsoft Docs And luckily for me, it does include West Europe. Microsoft has provided some pretty good documentation and some interesting videos. Though to me, the videos mostly focus on enterprise rather than business. And for me at least, the business edition is more interesting due to that Azure Active Directory piece and not needing AADDS and also not needing to consume and set up any additional resources within my Azure subscription. So it's just that flat fee for the desktop. And speaking of excellent resources, Katie Nicholson posted a really great blog post that's a good introduction to Cloud PC if you want to learn more about it. And also Ryan Mangan has posted a really great blog where he dives into performance benchmarking of various different specs of the business Cloud PC on offer. I won't give away the results, but I suggest you check it out for yourself. And I'll provide a link to that and to everything I talk about on this episode of the podcast. You'll find that on fivebytespodcast.com under reference links for episode 188. And to quickly tie a bow on the Windows 365 Cloud PC story for this week, like I usually do, I also went looking for mainstream coverage of the product going generally available. So a lot of mainstream outlets covered the initial announcement a few weeks ago and some also covered the actual launch of the product this week. CNBC had a pretty interesting interview segment around Windows 365 and rather humorously, it started with the host suggesting a hybrid desktop could have security problems, and then started talking about productivity apps like Slack when talking about Teams being available on the desktop while the other host asked a very softball teed up question that sounded like maybe it was provided before the actual interview took place. It was a little bit of an odd interview to me and it didn't really get across the significance of the service. I'm fortunate that I got to spend every night this week working with Cloud PC and I have to say I really enjoyed it. The setup was very simple, so onboarding is relatively quick. I was up and running with the desktop that I was able to sign into with my 365 credentials in just about an hour. And I heard that people who started and signed up right as the product launched, or the service launched, were up and running inside 20 to 30 minutes. Now, as demand grew, it seemed like people were waiting hours, with one person at least telling me they'd been waiting over 24 hours. I think that might have uh, been maybe when they hit their capacity. For my cloud PC, I've got some of my apps being delivered to the desktop via Microsoft Endpoint Manager, and the rest being delivered with Numescent Cloud Paging. The performance of the desktop itself is fine. It is perfectly suited to my workday. However, there's no way that I would use this middle of the road spec that I picked, which is two vCPUs, 128 gigs of storage, and eight gigs of memory. I wouldn't use that desktop for things like recording my screen or editing videos, which is something I actually do a lot of. I don't think I would also play Flight Simulator on the desktop, which is something I do on some weekends. It is an okay desktop, but there's just some things that I'm gonna continue to do on my physical desktop. Even if I opted for the highest end desktop, playing something like Flight Simulator on that desktop while possible, I mean, that game takes up over 100 gigs of storage as it is and it's quite resource intensive when playing it. I don't think I'd do that in a virtual desktop. So I really love the service and I would love to spin up a similar desktop for my wife and then just manage it for her. But at the current price point that they have right now, to me it's not worth it because I'd have to sign her up for a 365 subscription. She uses a MacBook as her primary device So I'd have to end up paying that extra four euros a month for Windows. I just can't see it. And for me personally, I was trying to compare it with, I bought this high-end Alienware laptop for recording the podcast and rendering videos and stuff like that. Courtesy, thank you, of my sponsors. I was able to invest in a really good laptop. And I was factoring in, usually my laptops last about six years. So if I was to get six years out of this laptop, the cost of it per month is around 30 euros, which is what I would be spending on that kind of middle of the road desktop that I've got set up in Cloud PC. But obviously my Alienware machine has much, much more power behind it. The Alienware also came with Windows OS already preloaded and licensed. It also doesn't require me to have any other additional licenses or pay per use resources in order to get what I want out of it and support it. So. At the moment, it's a very hard sale for me to say I'm willing for my wife to use this virtual desktop in the cloud full time and pay what they want, or even to have me use a virtual desktop in the cloud at this price point. I'm hoping to post a blog on some of my first impressions. I know it's been done to death now at this point. I did run into a couple of issues during the setup, but no major blockers. People have been pointing out that the business desktop uses shared activation that requires a compatible premium subscription to use. The community response has been mostly positive with a few little, you know, this could be improved type comments, but as a starting point, this is really awesome and exciting and I can't wait to see how it evolves and improves over time. Congrats to Microsoft and everyone involved. And sticking with Microsoft, Microsoft has acquired Supplyre, a leading provider of supplier spend insights that enables companies to proactively manage supplier spend by transforming data from multiple sources, such as contracts, purchase orders, invoices, expenses, and supplier risk into valuable insight. Their goal is to bring all of this great insight into their existing Microsoft Dynamics 365 capabilities. They say it will further empower their customers to turn data into actionable insights, including making comprehensive enterprise spend data and insights accessible to all, unlocking new financial insights to help with strategic procurement decisions, and also getting up and running with predictive insights in weeks rather than months. ZDNet this week has reported that Amazon announced that it has been fined 746 million euros, which is about $887 million, for violating the European Union's General Data Protection Regulation rules on how to process personal data. So it's more commonly known by its abbreviation GDPR. The violation claimed by the EU is regarding the advertising targeting system imposed by Amazon that carries out targeted ads without free consent. The Amazon fine is now the biggest that has ever been issued. Amazon said, quote, we believe the CNPD's decision to be without merit and intend to defend ourselves vigorously in this matter. There has been no data breach and no customer data has been exposed to any third party. These facts are undisputed. We strongly disagree with the CNPD's ruling and we intend to appeal. The decision relating to how we show customers relevant advertising relies on subjective and untested interpretations of European privacy law and the proposed fine is entirely out of proportion with even that interpretation, end quote. So the way I interpret it is, Amazon is defending itself saying that no data was leaked, Whereas you know, GDPR doesn't really matter if data is leaked, it just matters if you don't have that individual's consent for gathering data, or at least, if you don't have their consent for gathering certain types of data. If it's anonymized, I think it's fine. Honestly, I'm not a GDPR expert. But unluckily for Amazon, The EU has a large team of data compliance officers and lawyers who are GDPR experts, and I'm sure they wouldn't be going after this fine if it's not something they were confident in. You know, A lot of bad things can be said about the European Union and the protectionism of the organization, but one thing that can't be said is is that they've got bad lawyers. They've got pretty good lawyers, so it'd be interesting to see how this one pans out in the long term. The U.S. Department of Justice has said that Microsoft Office 365 email accounts of employees at 27 different U.S. attorney's offices were breached by the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service during the SolarWinds global hacking spree. The breaches are believed to have occurred between May 7th and December 27, 2020. The compromised data included all sent, received, and stored emails and attachments found within those accounts during that time period. While other districts were also impacted to a lesser degree, the APT group gained access to the Office 365 email accounts of at least 80% of employees working in U.S. attorney's offices located in eastern, northern, southern, and western districts of New York. So New York pretty significantly impacted, but there was also many other U.S. attorney's offices also impacted. BleepyComputer.com has shared a full list of the AG offices affected. It is too long to read out on the podcast. It would just bore you. But if you want to check it out, I'll share a link with this episode. NDTV have reported that LinkedIn will allow employees to opt for full-time remote work or hybrid options as offices gradually reopen. Interestingly, this is a change from a previous set expectation of working from an office 50% of the time. When the COVID pandemic restrictions lift, the updated policy offering the flexibility to work remotely full time or work in an office part time will apply to LinkedIn's global workforce of more than 16,000 employees. And in a separate story by ZDNet, they reported that Amazon have stated their workforce won't return to the office until 2022. LeapyComputer.com have reported that Microsoft Defender and Microsoft Edge on Windows 10 will automatically block potentially unwanted applications by default starting this month. Starting with Windows 10 2004, the May 2020 update, Microsoft added a new potentially unwanted app blocking setting, which was not turned on by default, but is now going to be turned on. Microsoft's criteria for designating a program as potentially unwanted is an app that contains advertising software, torrent software, crypto mining software, software that's bundled together, so possibly bundled with a freebie software, uh, marketing software for doing things like market research, evasion software for evading security product detection, and also poor industry reputation applications. So to me, the bundling one is the most interesting because there are a lot of legitimate applications that bundle in these junky middleware and adware apps with their legitimate apps. And with it enabled, it is possible that some legit software you have may exhibit some of these characteristics and match an unwanted application and get blocked. So obviously in an enterprise organization, you may want to tread carefully with this feature. Windows Central have reported this week that Microsoft will ship a series of updates for OneNote over the next 12 months, including a visual refresh, a new navigational UI layout option, and improvements to inking, with plans for the future to include a prompt that will prompt users of OneNote for Windows 10 to receive an in-app invitation to update to the OneNote app. This is because currently there are two OneNote apps, one for Windows and one with Office, so they will eventually merge to just one application. Microsoft anticipates that these invitations will start rolling out in the second half of 2022. And for those keeping score at home, the OneNote app will reach its end of support in October 2025, but this new app that will be taking over will continue to be free, so that's good news. I would be very interested to see what type of app they decide on. It would be great if it was like a progressive web app, because I'd love if they did away with that clunky one cache. That was a nightmare in VDI. The Irish Citrix User Group announced their next event during the week. It will be held on the 18th of August, starting at 1 p.m. Irish summertime, which is the same as BST. Shane O'Neill will be presenting on using the REST API for the Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktop service. And Wendy Yeh is going to be presenting on PVS on Azure, which I'm really interested in. I'd love to find out more about. So if you're like me and you want to find out more about that, sign up and register for the Irish UGC. And I'll share a link again with this episode. And now some scripts, tricks and tips. Another week and another tip that was shared by Thorsten. So thanks, Thorsten. This time, it's a really great PowerShell module called, Is It Allowed? This PowerShell module audits several different data points for security, like it returns all three firewall profile statuses, user admin role status, current Windows version, and also all open vulnerable ports. My buddy Trent Ty posted a really great article this week about a lot of the different challenges working in healthcare IT and how to deal with them. It also includes a really great analogy comparing health checks and monitoring of your IT systems with an EKG. And I did something similar, a blog post around healthcare IT this week, and I'll share both of them with this episode. The awesome Sonia Cuff posted an article that does a breakdown of the Windows login. You may recall the epic thread Steve Saifu tweeted out a few months ago. Well, this one has the added benefit of an actual accompanying video, so if you find video easier to follow and digest than long threads of text, you are in luck here. And finally, there's an incredibly detailed blog post by dollisgroup.io on what you can get from a stolen laptop and the details include how to get past a TPM chip and it's really, really interesting stuff. Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.